All right, good to see you today. Welcome to Influence Church and this time we have together. Um, how many of you are enjoying your fast? I get more text messages from guys going, I am starving to death. And I always text back, me too. But isn't this great? Because every time that you feel that, that sense of hunger, it, it just forces you into that dimension, that spiritual dimension of seeking after God in prayer. And I guarantee you, it is life-changing to fast. So we're on, uh, what is it, like day 13 now or 14? I don't know. It feels like day 100. But it, God really has. There have been some amazing miracles that have happened, and we want to encourage you to, to engage in that fast if you haven't done so already and see what God can do. Um, just remind you that we just uh, we invite you, Holy Spirit, in your presence here now. God, we ask that as we speak on a topic uh, uh, that is really, really just uh, so powerful in, in, in terms of its implications in the world we live in, so timely in what's going on, we ask you, Holy Spirit of God, that you would touch us right now in a way that would bring us hope and would also bring us courage to be the church of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Sir Isaac Newton said these words in, about the, uh, in the early 1700s. It's interesting. He said, about the time of the end, a body of men will be raised up who will turn their attention to the prophecies and insist upon their literal interpretation in the midst of much clamor and opposition. What makes that quote interesting is his faith in God, his research in the Word of God, especially the book of Daniel, but also what makes it interesting is that his private papers were undiscovered until really 1936 when the owner of those papers put them in an auction, sold them after 250 years. They sat in the house of the Earl of Portsmouth. They were auctioned and a Jewish scholar by the name of Abraham Shalom Ezekiel Yehuda bought them. He left them there and Finally, in, uh, they were sold, and uh, upon his, his death, they were given then to the newly founded state of Israel. They're now housed in the Jewish National University Library. Those papers, locked away, contained fascinating prophecies about the future. One paper in particular was dated 2060, and his calculations were based on the book of Daniel. Newton was convinced that Christ would return around this date, would establish a global kingdom of peace, that Babylon, the corrupt church, would also fall and the true gospel would be preached openly. Before the second coming, the Jews would return to the land of Israel. According to biblical prophecy, the temple would be rebuilt Slightly before or around the time of Christ's return, the great battle of Armageddon would take place when a series of nations invade Israel. When Jesus sat down with his disciples on the Mount of Olives, he gave them answers, but in generalities, about the end of the age. He said there are going to be some things you're going to be able to put your hand on and recognize as the pulse of what's happening in our world today. He talked about everything from earthquakes and famines and pestilence. He talked about worlds that were at war that never really happened until World War I, 
when we had an outbreak of a world war. He talked about things that what people in a former generation might look at and say, well, that doesn't really add up or that does, will never happen. When Isaac Newton spoke about the return of Israel to a nation, to establish a nation, he built it on biblical prophecy. Who would ever imagine that some 200 years later, Israel itself would be established as a nation coming out of the worst holocaust of mankind? As I put my hand on the pulse of newspapers, and I believe a great way to do this is to read what's happening online, either in print or, or uh, about newsworthy items, and see what's happening and compare that to what's happening in the Word of God. Here's one of the headlines that jumped out to me. It is Russia in the largest war game since the Soviet era. This was reported on CNN on July 16th. What makes that interesting is the prophecy of Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, which talks about Gog and Magog who would be with a coalition of armies that would come up against Israel, that Israel would actually be victorious, that that coalition army would be defeated, that they would suffer a great loss, but they would only be saved by a supernatural intervention of Almighty God. That would open the way then for the Antichrist who would establish a covenant of peace with the nation of Israel, only to later be revealed as the Antichrist himself in the Great Tribulation, and would lead then to a battle called Armageddon. When you see Russia positioning itself the way it is today, you see the coalition they have with some of those nations like Persia, which would be modern-day Iran, with Tagarma, which is Turkey, with Gomer, which is Germany, and you see this coalition coming together, you have to wonder, are we living in that day? Second headline found in the Jerusalem Post read like this, Israel launched airstrike on Syrian arms depot. Now the reason that that's interesting is because of the place that Syria plays in biblical prophecy, and because many people outside of the biblical world truly believe that Syria could be the thing that ignites World War III. In fact, this next headline found in, the, in a UK mail on, uh, online said this, could Syria ignite World War III? So many things have happened. Almost 100,000 people have lost their lives. Some close to 2 million people have been displaced out of that, that conflict that's going on that we seem to be very little involved in, at least on the uh, on the scenes in, in terms of physical boots and, and, and armament. But behind the scenes, there's much going on. Let's go back to Matthew now and see what he said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 24. It says that Jesus uh, went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all of these things? Surely I say unto you, not one stone shall be left upon another that should not be thrown down. Now, what he was essentially saying was, the temple is going to be destroyed. He said that in around 30 A.D., and the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. by Titus. Remember, the stones of those temples, of that temple, were large stones. They were, some of them were 30 to 60 tons in weight. And for him to say that there will be no stone left unturned would be a very unusual statement, not to mention that the temple would itself be destroyed. And yet when Titus came in, some 40 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, 
And they burned the temple, and the gold from that temple inside began to melt down into the, into the, the mortar joints on those large stones. It was the Romans who began to take each stone and turn it over to try to dig the gold out, thus fulfilling the prophecy of Matthew chapter 24 and verse 2. As he sat there on the Mount of Olives, it tells us in verse 3, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? People have always been curious about the world and the end of the world especially. I believe it's because God has put within us an innate knowledge that something is going to end, something traumatic, something climactic is going to bring our world to a conclusion. Those without God, those with God seem to affirm the same thing. Undoubtedly, Hollywood is picked up, literature is picked up on the theme, and it becomes a major component of the properties that they offer every year to the American worldwide public. So they ask the question, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Aren't we asking those questions today? What is it, where are we in biblical prophecy? What needs to happen next? Is there anything that prevents the Lord from coming back today? Notice how Jesus answered, verse 4. He said unto them, take heed that no one deceives you. So he wants to give us the warning right out of the gate and say, get ready, people are going to try to get you off base on this subject. People are either going to say there is no return of Christ, there is no end of the world, there's always been this kind of a talk, or they're going to say I am the Messiah, or I have the answer, or I have the exact date of the Lord's return. Verse 5 says, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So warfare among mankind does not signal the end. It is only just the birth pangs, if you will, of what's coming. For nation will rise against nation. If you have your Bibles, you can mark in the margin of your Bible 1914 because that was the first time when we had a global conflict where nation came against nation and kingdom came against kingdom. There will be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in various places. All of these things are just the beginning of sorrows. Remember the world that Jesus lived in and the, and the knowledge that they had of the world. To say that there are going to be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in various places would almost be like saying there must be life on another planet. Because one's knowledge of the world would be so limited, and here Jesus takes a global perspective and talks about nations, kingdoms, and all these different, uh, uh, different events that are going to happen like pestilence and famines and earthquakes in various places on the earth. But he says in verse 8, all of these are just the beginning of sorrows. Verse 9, then they will deliver you up to tribulation to kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because lawlessness will abound. And I believe, by the way, we have entered into the era of lawlessness. It is now that protests, beginning with the, with the Arab Spring as it moved across North Africa and into the Middle East, has jumped the ocean. It is now uh, clearly, clearly a part of what's happening in America. There's lawlessness on every hand. 
There are protests on almost every issue you can imagine, and I believe we're going to see these grow in magnitude. It's why we have Homeland Security buying the equipment they're buying, buying the ammunition they have, and and by setting up FEMA camps. There is a reason for all that. Because they have an understanding of the lawlessness that is right on the verge of exploding in our world today. Lawlessness will abound, and the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So he takes us through a series of of events that brings us up to the great tribulation and then even to the end of the age. Now let's drop down to verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation in those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the, uh, from the heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now, if I can take you back to Genesis chapter 1 for a moment, when God created the sun and the moon and the stars, he said there in Genesis 1 that they are for signs and for seasons, for days and for years. He reminds us that those three luminaries, that the sun, the moon, and the stars are indicators of signs of what God is going to do. He reaffirms it here in Matthew chapter 24 when he says that the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the heaven. And then he adds a spiritual dimension. Notice he says, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. There is a spiritual dimension, there is a spiritual atmosphere called the heavenlies, And consisting of that is the principalities and powers and wicked rulers. There are spiritual forces that you and I contend with every day. We're unaware. And yet we feel the pressure sometimes. We feel the conflict that we're in in our world. And God is saying as we contend here and now with those, there's coming a day when all of that All of that hierarchy of spiritual forces is going to be shaken and is going to bow the knee and yield to the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. For it says in verse 30, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the heaven. Revelation chapter 1 tells us that when he appears, that the great men of the earth will run and hide in fear of the one whom they pierced, the one they crucified. They will beg for the rocks to fall on them because so unbelievable will be the sign of the return of Jesus Christ. It says all the tribes of the earth are going to mourn. There's going to be a crying and a weeping and a what have we done? We who crucified the Lord of glory, here he is in all of his majestic splendor coming with the armies of heaven and now he comes not to convince men he is the Messiah. He comes now to judge men because he is the Messiah. This Son of Man is coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. The Bible says he will send his angels with the great sound of the trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So majestic are these words and so magnificent is the explanation that Jesus gives us here. We can only step back and wonder what time and what frame are we living in today? The big question that the disciples ask in Matthew 24, 3 is this one. Let me repeat it. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, imagine this eternal son of God. He sits on the Mount of Olives with his disciples and because he is both God and man, One can only imagine what was going through his mind as he telegraphed 
all the generations of man who would come and go, and finally he locks in on the return of Jesus Christ, of himself coming in his glory. And they said, as he sat there, tell us. They knew that the end was close. He'd been speaking about his death for many, many weeks. And now the day had come. The time had come. Tell us. We have one question before you leave. Tell us. What will be the sign of your coming? In other words, how will we know? How will we be prepared for your coming? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? What Jesus did in this section of Scripture is he unfolded three epics of man. The first one is called the beginning of sorrows, and you find it in verse 8. The first series, and if you take your Bible or take your notes, you can mark these epics and you can understand the return of Christ from the book of Matthew chapter 24. He said all of these things in verse 8 are the beginning of sorrows. So when you see an increase in the number of earthquakes or intensity, when you see pestilence, when you see some of these things begin to happen, know that that's not the end. It is simply the beginning of sorrows. The second epic is called the Great Tribulation. The tribulation will begin at the, uh, at the outset and the introduction of the Antichrist. He will be a man of peace. He will promise everything. He will be an audacious man who will promise all kinds of things. And one thing he will do is establish a covenant of peace with the nation of Israel. Remember, that follows that great battle of Ezekiel 38 and 39 where Russia has been decimated, where, where Iran and Germany and, and Turkey and those, that alliance of, of Islamic nations have been scattered and, and actually destroyed. And now that, that area of Jerusalem that once held the Dome of the Rock, that Muslim temple, will be destroyed because the Bible says in Ezekiel 38, every wall in Jerusalem will fall flat. That includes those walls that hold up the Temple Mount. And a rebuilding process will begin, a rebuilding of the Jewish temple under the authority and the watch care of that man of peace, the Antichrist. It will only be halfway into his reign, three and a half years into his time there, that he will display himself as he really is. The Bible says in Thessalonians, he will take his seat in the temple of God and he will proclaim to the world that he is God. He will break the covenant with Israel and he will then establish the mark of the beast on society that no one can buy or sell. The second epic is the great tribulation, verse 21. For then there will be a great tribulation such has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. Third epic, Third epic is the second coming of Christ, Matthew 24 and verse 30. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now that unfolding is just a skeleton that you can begin to fill and understand as you put the pieces together for understanding the doctrine of the second coming. The second thing I want you to see is the great fear. In Matthew 24, 4 and 5, Jesus answered and said, Take heed that no one deceives you. He's telling this to the ones who have been close to him. For three years they have traveled with him. They've heard his words. And he issued a clarion warning here. He says, be careful. It's the same warning we issue to you today. Be careful. 
people will try to deceive you on the subject of the return of Jesus Christ. He said unto them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name. They will say, I am the Christ, and they will deceive not just a few, but many. Let me talk to you about three waves of deception I see in the Word of God and in our society today. The first one, the first wave is the form of godliness. The form of godliness. When the Apostle Paul was writing to Timothy, he spoke these words beginning in verse 1. For know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, more rather than lovers of God. And then he caps it with this word, having a form of godliness, but denying the power from such people turn away. Now think about what he's just said. This first wave of deception, I believe, is already upon us. I believe when we entered into the, to the, to the 20th century, we began to see this happen in, in, a, in a cumulative way. We began to see this form of Christianity that could function here in America and around the world. But there was this lack of the Holy Spirit power and dynamic in the lives of people that gave evidence that they had been with God. And they said all the right things, they did all the right things, they even carried Bibles, but there was no power. Jesus said that when my spirit comes upon you, it will be a spirit of power. He wrote to the Corinthians, the apostle Paul said, and I did not come to you with words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the spirit and of power. See, power is the evidence that you know God. It's that power of God in you and, and cultivating the presence of God in your life. Not just a form of godliness, not denying the power, not just trying to adopt a Christian value system, but true power. The second wave of deception, and I believe this is upon us right now, it is an intrusion of privacy. The headline caught my eye. I couldn't take my eyes away from the article. I went back and read it two or three times. I did more research, but here's the headline. Inside Google headquarters, what does the future hold for a company whose visionary plans include a chip in our brains? Well, Lord knows I got room for a chip, amen? <laughs> Nothing can conceal the scale of Google's ambition. And I love Google. I Google all the time. It's like a word now. Have you Googled today? But in May 2012, Google created what was called a knowledge graph. And it was, a, it was a, a way to measure how much knowledge we can actually bring together and make available for people. And in, in just a year ago, in May of 2012, it had a pool of 3.5 billion facts on 500 million subjects. One year later, it had grown from 3.5 to 18 billion facts on 570 million subjects. That's pretty interesting. Now when I think about 
what the, this article said was the chip inside my head will make, I don't need to have a phone in my pocket. I won't need to even have it on my wrist. Or I won't need to be able to wear Google Glass. I will absolutely have it in my head and I can signal changes simply by my thoughts pattern connecting with that chip in my head. Would have been really helpful in school. <laughs> this is what Daniel the prophet said in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4. But you, Daniel, shut up the words, seal up the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Daniel had no way of knowing what kind of increase there would be. 2 Timothy 3.7 says, In this last days they will always be learning but unable to come to the knowledge of the truth. You see, just getting facts and just getting knowledge isn't transformational until we meet and understand and know God. How many of you remember Dick Tracy? Dick Tracy, it started as a comic strip in 1931. And Dick Tracy had a sidekick by the name of Sam Ketchum. you got to love the name. Sam Ketchum. And they find themselves battling a sinister character known as Mr. Computer, who wants to control the world. His strange powers enable him to remember everything he hears and sees and recall it instantly. He's the bad guy, this Mr. Computer, and he can store data, analyze voice patterns, and read private thoughts. Sounds a little too close to home, doesn't it? The good news is that Dick Tracy found a way to get out of that situation, escape the hold of Mr. Computer. You know how he did it? His thoughts were so disorganized that he confused Mr. Computer and it malfunctioned. So which is good news for most of us. Because now we all have ADD, at least I know I do, ADD, CDD, and all those other things. Third wave, spiritual, uh, spirit of delusion. People begin to believe a lie. In Jeremiah chapter 9 and verses 5 and 6, listen to what it says. Everyone will deceive his neighbor. Are you experiencing that? I've never seen so much deception, truth-breaking, fault-finding in my ministry. It's more than ever in my life. In this world, it's amazing. And that is a worldwide voice that I hear from people all around the country. And they will not speak the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves to commit inequity. Your dwelling place is in the midst of deceit. Through deceit, they refuse to know me, says the Lord. How prophetic were the words of Jeremiah the prophet. Let's look to the unexpected day. Matthew chapter 24, verses 29 and 30 says this, immediately after the tribulation in those days. So now we've gone through this process of the tribulation, and now that's coming to an end, culminating in the battle of Armageddon. And it says, in those days the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the heaven, the power of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Everything in the Word of God points to Jesus, and everything in your life should point to Jesus. The time has come for God to settle accounts with the ungodly who have suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. John the Apostle writes these words in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11. He said, I saw heaven opened, 
and behold, a white horse. And he who sat upon it was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and he makes war. Jesus is coming again, not with his glory veiled, but with the power and the banners of war. He is called faithful and true, two values which are vanishing from the vocabulary of man. Jesus will make no attempt to persuade the world that he is king. That will be evident to all mankind as all the nations of the globe begin to mourn. Those who have denied him or rejected him will cringe in fear and horror at the sight of the Lord of lords and the King of kings who will come to make every wrong right. Establish a kingdom of righteousness on this earth. Satan's weak empire will collapse like a house of cards. This is a God invasion of epic proportions. Nothing like this has ever happened before or will ever happen again. Satan's headquarters in heavenly places and on earth are under siege. Demonic spirits and important men on the earth run to hide themselves from the Lord of glory. But there is no place to hide. His eyes, the revelation says, are like flames of fire, and his voice is like a mighty ocean. The Bible says when he appears, every eye will see him. Imagine when John wrote that, what was going through his mind. How can all the world, how can the people even in the kingdom over here see Jesus coming back? Little did they know that they would, if visibly they couldn't see him, little did they conceive of a day when someone could reach in their pocket pull out a phone and watch it live stream and yet that's the day we live in too late to repent too late to listen to god mankind up to this point now has been marked with the mark of the beast it is the number of man six 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 revelation chapter 13 and now all who receive the mark are eternally damned and face the great judgment of god those who refused the mark became martyrs for the cause of Christ, beheaded for the cause of Christ, cried out for justice and revelation. When, O oh God, will you bring justice to this earth? And we are reminded by that great poem, hymn, and scripture of Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, where it says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee, not some, but every knee should bow. Of those in heaven, of those on earth, and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The issue is not if you will bow to Jesus. The issue is when will you bow to Jesus? Will it be today, or will you save it for another day? You say, well, I believe Jesus is, is Lord. Is he Lord of your daily life? You say, I know Christ. Is he Lord of your daily life? Do you let him direct your path today? Do you look back in your life and say, there was a day when I was closer to God and when I followed God more closely, then go back to that day and restore that first love you have for Jesus. Live today for him. We are living, as Scripture says, in perilous times, in last times, when it's incumbent upon us to be faithful with that treasure that has been deposited in our heart, the treasure of the Holy Spirit of God. 
the Word of God, the power of God, the message of God. A couple of life applications go like this. Here's the first one. Today is a day of salvation. You see, today is a day that for whatever reason, God can culminate your thoughts, your hearts, your passions in Scripture and bring that together to say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to know Him. I don't even know Jesus. If you want to know Him today, you can know Him. Today can be the day of salvation. Secondly, that God's timetable for the world is right on track. You see, when God laid things out, it wasn't this this capricious approach to, to the eternal plan of God. It was, no, everything was very on track and everything was very deliberate. The world events we have, they didn't shock God, they shouldn't shock us. What we need to do is live for Jesus today. Serve him with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we pray. And as we pray, I'm going to invite those of you who may not know Christ, I'm going to invite you to know him today, to invite him into your life. For those of you who say, I do know Jesus, I'm going to invite you to to recommit your life to him. Let's pray right now. Lord Jesus, as we pray, we ask God that you would just open our hearts and open our eyes up to the truth that you have in Scripture. Father, right now, there are some who do not know you, some that are in this theater and one of the other two theaters or in Abu Dhabi or Big Bear or watching on live stream. Father, we realize the audience is broad and and, and most of the people, Father, we're not sure where they are. But right now, God, would you just touch their heart? If you don't know Christ, would you pray a prayer like this one? Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you died, you were buried, and you rose from the dead to give me eternal life. Right now, I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus. I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, and I embrace the promise that I will be saved, that is, rescued from the separation from God. So save me now, Lord Jesus. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. In your own words right now, would you just thank him for that eternal gift of salvation he gave you if that was your prayer? If that was your prayer, I wonder, would you just lift your eyes right here to me and just as a confession of faith, just look me in the face right now. God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you. All over this auditorium, people are raising their eyes. God bless you. Follow Jesus. He loves you. Love him. Commit yourself to him. Be faithful to him. As we sing this song together, would you give him praise? Would you just glory in his name now?